today we're going to release our exclusive podcast for everyone on our normal platforms just because the special guest that we had on, who was a very good personal friend of mine, had a lot of interesting things to say. As someone who is a retired serviceman, he had a lot to add as far as the situation on the ground in Afghanistan. Therefore, we thought that it would be a good idea to not just limit our exclusive podcast on Saturday just to exclusive subscribers. So we are going to release it today for all of you. You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard-hitting and action-packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. All right, uh, this is going to be a short one today. I really don't want to spend too much time today, uh, but we do have a very special guest with us today, and it just so happens that he caught me at exactly the right time when he called, uh, and that's Tavish. Tavish, how are you? Not bad, sir. Doing well. Hope you guys are okay. I'm doing well. Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive as usual. Is there ever a day when you're not healthy and alive? I, I Maybe forego the second part, but is there ever a day you're not healthy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could say, you know, being alive, uh, you know, I don't know. That's questionable. Kinda, but Well, no, I mean, uh, if, if you weren't alive, then obviously you wouldn't be here. So I can't really ask that part of the question, can I? Well, I mean, it depends on what you consider alive. I mean, there, okay, there, that's there true. All some, right. Because the Extinction like, Rebellion people, yeah. those people are, are pretty much dead. So yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, you, yeah. yeah. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, not being healthy, like the, the December, I, I had uh, COVID for a couple of days and I would have still said I was healthy and alive, even though I had COVID. Actually, you did say was, you were healthy and alive because you were on here podcasting while you yeah. had COVID. Because because I, I didn't uh, feel sick at all. Like I had almost no symptoms other than loss of taste and smell and a little bit of a runny nose. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that does happen. I hear. OK, uh, and, and to be quite honest with you, I'm almost positive. I, I don't I don't know for sure, but I'm almost positive that I actually had it, too. Do you remember I was down for like four days? And I, I mean, I was deathly ill down with a fever for like four days and I could not for the life of me get out of bed. And I thought, all right, this is just like the usual man flu thing and I'll be over it in 10 days or so. No, four days. I mean, it was gone. But I smashed the hell out of that with mega dose with mega doses of vitamin C and vitamin D. And I took zinc and I drank a ton of green tea, uh, hot green tea. And that made all the difference in the world. And I got a lot of sleep. So uh, that uh, that made a huge difference. OK, like I said, uh, by the way, gentlemen, for, for those that are not aware, uh, Bruce, I know you're aware, but Tavish, you're not aware. We are on the exclusive, so um, we don't have to worry about any of those pesky sensors. So I think today might be one of those days where we actually forego the sensors because of what we're going to discuss. I want to talk with you specifically because you are uh, retired military. I want to talk to you about this absolute debacle in Afghanistan. So you haven't had a chance to be on here to talk about it yet. Uh, and this is going to be a real treat, uh, not only for our listeners that are listening to us on Telegram, but for Bruce and I as well. I want to hear your take on what you see as far as what's going on in Afghanistan with all of this mess. To be honest, it's been close to two weeks of flashbacks to the 70s. 
I, I, I just, I'm watching it and I just have this lump, this, this, this rock in my stomach watching it. And it, it's, it's, it's like Saigon. It's like Beirut. Just it, it's, I can't really describe it. It's just the sheer debacle of it all. And I understand those that say we had to pull out 20 years. If they can't stand on their two feet, I get that. But the way it was executed, we had the 4P and the 6P saying, prior planning prevents piss poor performance. If you don't have the 6Ps, then you just have piss poor prior planning. And to me, that's what it was. They knew for months this was coming up. Why did they not start sooner? Organizing getting in the boots on the ground. To me, they waited to the last minute, and it's just, it's gone about as well as I figured it would. Not, not well at all. And then you had the ISIS-K attack. Same thing with Vietnam, when they uh, shelled the Saigon airport. Uh, the last two Americans killed on the ground. Who's going to be the last American killed on the ground in Afghanistan at the airport? That's that. That's what really bothers me. It's just, it's it, we lost that institutional memory. It's been so long since we had to withdraw from a war we lost. And the people that are in power have no memory of that they have no experience with it and they did not plan for it to me that's just that's the way it's playing out i don't know if that makes sense it no it and makes sense. younger generation it, it makes sense but we saw the photos i mean obviously it was it was before my time it was certainly before bruce's time but we saw the photos of saigon in 75 of the chinooks landing on top of the embassy getting our people out we saw that and biden was even asked that many many months ago he was asked is this going Going to be another uh, incident of possibly what we saw in Vietnam, and he says, "No, absolutely not." Is it possible that the Taliban are going to sweep across Afghanistan and take the entire country? No, there, there's no way that's going to happen. And all of those things happened. We saw the photos side by side, as you said, uh, and it's it is it is almost. I mean, indistinguishable. If you or somebody that were seeing those photos for the first time, you almost wouldn't be able to make the distinction if you didn't know what they were. So I, I get what you're saying, that it's reminiscent of that. But at the same time, these are the same people. A lot of you, you said that a lot of these people that are, that are in there uh, weren't around during that time. I, honestly, I think the people behind the scenes, I think some of them are the same people that were in there. Some of the people that are behind this administration, because we were asking or we were talking last night offline, who was in office in 75? It was Jimmy Carter, right? No, Gerald Ford. Carter came was in, in Ford? 76. 76. Okay. Yeah. My, yes, my mistake. All right. So yeah. All right. So Gerald Ford, but these are some of the same people that were involved in government back then behind the scenes that are still involved today. So I have to think that they've created all this, this entire mess on purpose, because as you said, there's a way to do things. Even if you don't have the military experience, there is a common sense way to do this stuff. You withdraw as you know, like I said, we, we didn't we didn't belong in there to, to begin with. But nonetheless, we were there. We had a presence. We were there for 20 years. You pull out in a certain way. You advise our people, our assets, our contractors, our NGOs, our charities, everybody that's in there on the ground. You advise them. We're looking at withdrawing. This is our target date. You need to start making arrangements now. You tell them that months ahead of time and you get our civilians out, then you work on getting our assets and our contractors out. On top of that, you then remove all of our equipment as much as you can. Obviously, you can't take all of it, consider considering you're in there for 20 years. You remove as much of it as you can. What you can't take, you destroy. So it's unusable as you leave it behind. You pull our military out at the end, but... 
the deal was the deal that Trump made was we were yes yes we were going to withdraw our military that was the deal we were going to do this in the orderly fashion like I just laid out we were going to have that phase drawdown that was the idea we were going to do the same thing with Iraq but what we were going to do as part of that that was not part of that deal we were going to leave 10 to 15,000 contractors in region. So those are the ones that are our, uh, you know, private military contractors. They were going to stay in region. They were going to remain in the region in case there was a problem. Any one of these groups that would have surfaced their heads again, then they would have been dispatched in a hurry. And obviously it wouldn't have been the military doing that. It would have been the uh, private military contractors, which let's be honest, we're at 2.9 contractors per soldier. So we have more contractors than we do soldiers. So most of the people that are in there are contractors anyway. But that was supposed to be the deal. And this administration has just completely screwed all of that. They, they've completely screwed all of that. I, I cannot... I cannot fathom what is going through the minds of these people other than the fact, and this is the only thing I can surmise, other than the fact that they did this on purpose. And I, I went, I was on the phone with Marty today. I'm going to go down the list of things with you of everything that we left behind. But I want to give you a chance to, uh, to, to say something in there on that before, uh, before I get into that list. Well, one of the things I learned in the service was never attribute to malice that which you can attribute to stupidity. And I believe that People in Washington, they have this rosy view. It's not always grounded in reality. They don't have their boots on the ground. They're they're in air-conditioned situation rooms, offices, looking at a teleprompter, looking at the video screen. They don't have that on-the-ground feel. So to them, oh, well, yeah, it's okay. We'll do this. We'll do that. They're not the boots on the ground. They don't realize what is actually happening in real time. And what the Taliban did, I give them credit, uh, as Bruce Coburn said, you kill the best, you buy the rest. And that's what the Taliban did. They bought off the little soldiers, the frontline troops. They worked their ways up from privates to sergeants to captains. All of a sudden, the colonel looks around, where are my men? Oh, well, sorry, we surrendered. They gave us money, so see ya. And all of a sudden, the country collapses. Ran into Vietnam. It took a year, two years for the South Vietnamese to collapse between 72, 74, 75. Two weeks in Afghanistan. But that shows you how ingrained, and same thing in Vietnam, how ingrained the corruption was, the lack of people who had integrity that believed in what they were doing, and people in Washington just believed what they, what they heard. You know, they say paralysis by analysis. They just, oh, well, let's just tell them what they want to hear. Let's tell them what they want to hear. People that had the actual experience are not the policymakers. Yeah, there are some politicians that were around, but in terms of the military, that institutional knowledge, that was lost. We haven't had something like this. Uh, you could go to 83 with the Beirut barracks, the bombing, when Reagan pulled all the troops out. But mm -hmm. really, we haven't gone through what we did in Vietnam, where we lost the war and had to pull people out. Pictures. In this case, it was helicopters flying off the coast to American ships landing people getting out and the crews would have to push the helicopter off the side of the ship because there was no room choppers land unload push it off chopper lands unloads push it off in this case we do have an airfield where we can use aircraft but it's the same basic thing what we left behind weapons electronics vehicles you know some of the uh, helicopters did manage to get out but a lot of aircraft are still there and it's just like a shopping list the thing is though do the Taliban have the technological resources to maintain and upkeep that equipment? That's my question. I think that if they don't have the knowledge to maintain and upgrade that equipment and keep it maintained, well, then they'll get somebody who will know how to do that. And I'm sure that uh, 
well, their newfound allies exactly. in Beijing will probably have no qualms about giving them, you know, someone to help them, I'm sure. Uh, someone to help them, of course. You know, they're so gracious to allow the Chinese to come in and now uh, help them rebuild their country. They're so gracious for that, that I'm sure they'll be happy to provide uh, people to, uh, from the People's Liberation Army, I'm sure they'll be happy to provide uh, those people to help them maintain that. Uh, I want to go over uh, this list of things that we left behind. Uh, and I want to give Bruce, I want to I want to give you and, and uh, Tavish a chance to to talk about this. Uh, I'm going to list this because I have to step away for just a couple of minutes. Uh, but I want to I want to give you two a chance to uh, to discuss this because you were talking about a lot of this list as I was coming in tonight. Uh, I want to go down this list. This is confirmed that we know of that we have left on the ground over there. On top of all this, I I'd just like to say on top of all this, we gave them a list. The State Department provided them with a list of not only American citizens' private information, but also people within Afghanistan itself that collaborated with us against the Taliban. We gave them that list. We handed those people a death sentence. Understand that. So on top of that list, there is this. 2,000 armored vehicles, including Humvees and MRAPs, 75,989 total vehicles, including FMTVs, M35s, Ford Rangers, Ford F350s, Ford vans, Toyota pickups, armored security vehicles, and the lot. 45 UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters, by the way, for anybody wondering, thinking that 45 is not a lot, that's more than 85% of any other country on Earth. 50 MD-530G Scout attack, attack choppers, Scan Eagle military drones, 30 military version Cessnas, 4 C-130 aircraft, 4 29 Brazilian-made A-29 Super, uh, Super Tucano ground attack aircraft. So that's about 208 or just right around there total aircraft in all. At least 600,000, possibly more, small arms, including M-16s, M-249s, uh, which is the saw, M24 sniper systems, 50 calibers, 1,394 M203 grenade launchers, M134 miniguns, 20 millimeter Gatlin guns, and ammunition for all of it. 61,000 M203 rounds, 20,000 grenades, howitzers, mortars, plus thousands of rounds of ammunition for the mortars, 162,000 pieces of encrypted military communications equipment, over 16,000 pairs of night vision goggles, the newest technology, our brand new, our brand new night vision scopes for our rifles, our brand new ones, the newest ones off the line, thermal scopes, thermal mono goggles, 10,000 two and three quarter inch air to ground rockets, Oh, yes, they're going to start shooting planes coming off the tarmac. You better believe it. Reconnaissance equipment, laser aiming units, explosive ordinances, C4, Semtex, detonators, shaped charges, thermite, incendiaries, anti-personnel, anti-tank, all the rest of it, 2,520 bombs. And if I sound like I'm screaming at this, it's because I am. Administration equip uh, encrypted cell phones and laptops, all operational. Pallets with millions of dollars of U.S. currency. Oh, yeah, you saw the pallets? Yeah, shrink-wrapped $100 bills? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we left we left millions in cash there. Millions of rounds of ammunition, but not limited to, including but not limited to, 20,150,600 rounds of 7.62. 9 million rounds of 50 caliber. 
a large stockpile of plate carriers and body armor, U.S. military hide for handheld integrated identity detection uh, equipment biometrics. Those are the handheld biometric scanners we left that now they can ID anybody by iris or fingerprints and lots of heavy equipment, including bulldozers, backhoes, dump trucks and excavators. That's that's a disgrace. That is an absolute disgrace. I mean, you, you better you better see heads roll for this. People better be dragged out in handcuffs and made to answer for this. So I will let you two talk on this. Uh, like I said, I have to step away for just a few minutes, but that is one hell of a list, gentlemen. Same thing in Vietnam. What we gave to the South Vietnamese, what we left behind when we pulled out. Oh, here, you guys have some choppers, have this, have that. It's nation building gone wrong all over again. You can't use the military to perform a military operation and expect them to nation build if you do not have the geopolitical backup to go with it. The corruption, the, the institutionalized corruption that was over there, the warlords, so on and so forth. It, it's a recipe for disaster. But by the same token, we have to remember, we did get Osama bin Laden. We did break Al-Qaeda. But against that, 20 years, trillions of dollars, four or five different presidents. What do we got to show? Here we are, right back again, scooting out the back door, hoping we don't get uh, our butts kicked. And it's just uh, it's deja vu in the worst possible way. The thing is about all of this, leaving behind one of the things that um, I had heard, what based on the amount of equipment that we had left behind, if we were to be handing that out to our allies at the current rate that we already hand that equipment out to our allies uh, as is, it would last us 35 years. I, I'm I'm baffled at how much equipment we 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 sent over and then left behind. I know some of it is out of date now. I mean, it's 20 years. I get it, but at the same time. This is equipment that they will use now. I mean, ISIS will get a hold of it. The Iranians are going to get a hold of it, um, let alone any of the other terrorist organizations in the area or any that may pop up like ISIS-K, uh, for example. They're going to get it and use it against our allies in the in the area. They're going to use it against us. Granted, as, as you said earlier, Tavish, it depends on whether or not they can maintain some of the equipment. A lot of the pictures we were seeing were like M4s. M4s are a little bit more delicate than your AK-47s that you typically see them out there with. Um, you can't just clean it with uh, oil and a shoelace, um, but, and that's not good enough for an M4. But nonetheless, all that equipment is probably left behind as well uh, to clean the, 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 the weapons. So... It just takes a little bit of knowledge. I don't know. Maybe surf YouTube, figure out how to clean it properly. I mean, the information's there. So, oh yes, exactly. No, this is this is a disgrace. It's disgraceful. There is no reason we should have pulled out how we pulled out. There should have been no reason for that. It should have been made clear, which it was under under Trump. It was made clear that we will pull our troops out by May first. But if you show yourself, we're going to obliterate you. That's the trend we should have followed. It should have been that. We'll pull our guys out, uh, but if you cause any problems, we will crater every one of your vehicles, every everything. And we should have stuck around until we got all our stuff out and taken our time, you know, until we were, you know, got everything out, everyone. I mean, we have upwards of 40,000 people there that are unaccounted for. I mean, the, the State Department said that there's... 15,000 for sure that we can track, but it's upwards of 40,000 that, that could be in the, in, in these areas. You, you also have the, you know, private, uh, basically private military. Uh, you, you still have them there. Uh, you still have the, the refugees, the ones that we promised citizenship for helping us. They're still there, unable to get out. In fact, they're turning them away at the gates. And now they have a list um, of who they are. 
Yeah. Yes. And they also have lists of things like not only who they are, if they've helped the Americans, but also their uh, religious status. Uh, so, yeah, that's another. And and the means to too. identify them with the biometrics. Exactly. Th this is. I'm sorry. I've got uh, some B-roll. I've got some B-roll that's going behind me of uh, of these Taliban scum uh, with all of our gear. And there's one of them. This is all in English, by the way. These are Turkish subtitles because the Turkish mainstream media did a uh, did a piece on them. But this is their elite fighting force, their elite commandos. And you see here, Bruce, he's very concerned. He's he's talking uh, to the interviewer here with a mask on so he doesn't spread COVID-19. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he's really concerned about it. Uh, <laughs> I did see a, I did see a good one today. Yeah, I, I did see a good one today. I think I posted it up on our Telegram channel. Uh, here it is. Can someone please tell me how the Taliban survived a year and a half without masks, social distancing, PCR testing, mandatory vaccines, and now even managed to recapture Kabul and freely rule Afghanistan in the middle of a global pandemic? It's a good question. That's a really good question. That is a good one. Some of the stories I've been hearing of people that have been trying to get refugees out, um, you know, charity organizations, some of the stories of what the State Department is doing to hinder these organizations from getting the people out, so much as threatening to shoot them down when an aircraft takes off. It, you have to understand the, the, these refugees, for them to even have gotten onto the plane to be allowed into the airport, they had to have paperwork uh, given out by the State Department that says they helped uh, you know, the U.S. or, you know, gave them their, their status, if you will. They were the ones that cleared them in the first place, got them on the plane, verified them again when they were getting on the plane. And then when the plane took off, they had clearance to land at a certain location of the country. And um, then the State Department changes how you get the clearance. And uh, they, they changed all of that in flight and revoked everybody's um, paperwork. So. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a bit. Um, you know, the the the, the meme from uh, one of the uh, World War II dramas. You know, you get the chunky uh, British guy saying, uh, playing as a Nazi, saying, uh, "Are we the baddies?" Yeah, that's that's the, the State Department right now. Are, are we the baddies? Because it sure as hell looks like you are. It's the disconnect between Washington and the boots on the ground. They're back in their little rosy room. It's air conditioned. They're watching the video screens. They are not actually connected to what's physically going on. I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is. Oh, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. They have the, the time and leisurely make decisions. Whereas if you're physically on the ground, you have seconds, minutes, if you're lucky, to make a decision. That's why people are saying, well, how could they get the bomb through? People forget the refugees have to go. First of all, they have to go through the Taliban checkpoints to get to the airport checkpoints. The airport checkpoints, you've got Americans, boots on the ground, who have physically have to search each individual going through that gate. They have to pat them down. You can have overwatch positions, you can have security, but you still have to physically pat that person down. You use your Mark One eyeball to look at them, make sure everything's okay, and then they go through the gate. So I can see how they could get a bomber to that point. How they got through the Taliban checkpoints, I cannot answer that. I do know ISIS-K, they hate Americans, they hate Taliban. Either way, they would love to make either one of us or both of us look bad at the same time. ISIS-K is the one that I believe last May uh, blew up a school. The year before that, I believe they had an attack on a maternity ward 
in Afghanistan in Kabul. So these people have been active for quite a while in Afghanistan, fighting the Taliban and the Americans. But they, they like so these are the same groups of through? people. Well, these are the same groups of people that you remember when the Taliban went through and they opened up the prisons and like 5,000 prisoners came out of the prisons. And those were people that we put in there. You can't tell me that exactly. a lot of them weren't ISIS fighters in there as well. Exactly. And now, Lord knows how many more fighters they have, how many are coming into the country from other areas, whether it's Chechnya, Syria, so on and so forth. It's the new Holy Land. You know, as they say, they want to, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but they want to set up a, a caliphate, a caliphate. Caliphate, yeah, you got it. They want to set up their, yeah, they want to set up that Islamic society. So they're sucking all these people in from other countries for the new Holy War for Islam. And the problem is we have that disconnect where the people, the majority of people, People in leadership positions right now don't have that institutional memory of what happened in Vietnam. The fighting retreat is one of the worst operations a military can undergo. You're retreating, you're fighting at the same time. How the hell are you going to get your people out without losing more? That's the situation we're in now. August 31st, who's going to be the last boots in the ground and how the hell are they going to get out? Like you said, with all the equipment you know, left behind, what's it say I, they're not going to pop off at a C-130 taking off from the airport? Yeah, you know, I I, I think I, it just hit me right when you just said that. You know, we're, we're sitting here going around and we're talking about how these people possibly did this on purpose, right? And you've got the White House in circles right now, running around wondering how many laws they just broke. What if there was a different agenda that they were playing? Do, do you remember I was telling you, Bruce, how General Patton was saying in the Second World War, when we finish with the Germans, we need to march right on across Russia and finish this problem. We need to finish this fight. Tavis, do you remember that? Do, do you remember Do you remember yes. reading about how General Patton said, all right, when we're done with the Germans, we need to march right on across Russia and we need to end this right now? And they squashed him for it. They squashed him. He was right, but they squashed he him. He was right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he was right. They squashed him. Now, a lot a lot of speculation around what happened to him. He was in that car accident on a military base. You don't just have car accidents on military bases like that without full investigations. There was never an investigation in that, into that accident. He didn't die in that accident either. He died in the hospital while making a full recovery. So what happened after that? We cut a deal with Chiang Kai-shek, but the offices of the OSS also cut a deal with Mao Zedong, right? I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, that's uh, well, that that's that's mainline history. Also, you had Eisenhower, who was obviously he was in command of the Pacific Fleet. He was putting forth a plan to finish off Korea, you know, because they were being backed by the Soviets, the, the North, they were being backed by the Soviets, the, uh, Kim Il-sung, who was uh, Kim Jong-il's father, who was Kim Jong-un's grandfather, the founder of the, uh, the North Koreans. He was being backed by the Soviets. Eisenhower had a plan to shut him down in 10 days. Well, what happened to him? Obviously, Ike went back. As soon as he put forth that plan, he was given retirement with honors, right? A hero's welcome. Congratulations. You've done your due diligence. Uh, we'll take it from here. The same people at the OSS. Okay. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get conspiratorial here, okay? That's not what I'm doing. I'm simply saying, what happened when the banker boys were losing World War II? They lost it with Hitler, right? They funded him, but they shut him down. They had to reestablish from the ground up, didn't they? As I said, they had to create the system again from the bottom where there was basically it was nothing. So what did they do? They went to China. China barely had electricity. So they built everything up from there, didn't they? What if they're doing the same thing? What, what if they're losing this in the West and they know it? And, and obviously, China's 
China's collapsing. I, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the mainstream media says. China's collapsing. They knew 20 years ago they were collapsing. China does this, the COVID thing. China does this or China collapses. So they're trying to tie up Western civilization, get us chasing our own tail and getting us into this downward spiral because our elites are collapsing. Our financial system is collapsing. Well, that system's coming down. The populist movement is gaining traction and is rising in mainland Europe and in Australia. They don't have much time left. Once they got caught, by Senator Paul, Senator Marshall, and Senator Kennedy in the Senate, once Fauci and, and company were caught, all of this has been spinning out of control ever since, right? What if they're looking to reestablish a foothold in a country for a later conflict and they'll build them now? I, I'm just I'm just asking the question. I'm not saying that's what they're doing. I'm just asking the question because historically it fits, does it not? Classic misdirection. And also, based on what you were saying, following that idea, it, it's good for business at the same time. Uh, a lot of these banker boys, they fund the organizations that make the weapons or, you know, private military. Um, they fund those or have investments in those. So it's within their um, interests to have conflicts around the world that we're involved in. Standard business. Supply both sides. Hey, we're being fair and equal. We're selling to everybody. You know, whether it was Patton, MacArthur, Eisenhower warned us about the military industrial complex. And that's what it is. Sure. Oh, we're, we're good Americans. But you know what? Our bottom line, we have to watch out for our stockholders. Hence, more we sell, the more the profits go up, the more our stockholders are happy. Morally, ethically, oh, we're talking business. You know, it's something different. That's just my take on it. But it's to me, at least, it's always been business does not equal patriotism, does not equal civil interest or anything like that. It's business. They're there to make a profit. They sell the bad guys. They sell the good guys. They sell the neutral guys. It doesn't matter. It's all going out there. And, you know, like all the equipment we left overseas, whatever country it is, and dozens of countries have got our equipment. What happens if things go south? Well, we just supply the other side with a whole lot of good shit. And it constantly happens, whether it's the Russians, when they got kicked out of Afghanistan, we got kicked out of Afghanistan. Let's face it. Afghanistan has never been a unified country. It's been a tribal country, but they've never had a unified country with a unified government. That's something that's never happened. And even now with the Taliban, it's not unified. You have your ISIS, you have your Al-Qaeda, but even within the Taliban, you have separate groups that are more fundamentalist, more moderate, but it's not a unified government. And one of the things with the Taliban, their leaders, you'll see them fancy hotels, flying in jets to Doha or whatever for these conferences. Your fundamentalists, these are the guys that run around on the ground. If they have sandals, hey, great. If not, they still have the right big disconnect between the groups. I want to play a clip here of uh, Jack Posobiec on Steve Bannon's podcast. Apparently from his sources inside the White House, this is what's going on inside there. Uh, and we'll talk about this as soon as they uh, as soon as they conclude this at the White House. But particularly, you've got deep relationships with people on the ground in the military, in the intelligence, paramilitary, all of that. It put this in perspective for us. Yeah. What we're, what yeah, we're hearing ahead. right now in the administration is that they are circling the wagons right now. You've got two sets of things going on. One is Kamala Harris and everything that's going on with her. And from her canceling the event in California, she's in discussions in midair with Secretary of Defense Austin. Now you've got people in the White House regarding this list that was uh, handed over, a list of our forces and our allies there that was given to the Taliban. You've got people in full CYA mode from the NSC and Jake Sullivan on down thinking, wait a minute, what did we just do? How many laws did we just break? 
Uh, what are you hearing also? I, what you're reporting, you've been tweeting out that that people that he's now kind of confused and he's and, and people are approaching him. He's looking for other sources of information here, given that he's not confident of the people around him gave him a course of action that he's now basically. And once this happens, ladies and gentlemen, once you start taking it from everybody, that's when things really start to spin out of control. Is that what you're hearing, Jack, that he's now in asking everybody? He's very uncertain about the course of action he's chosen. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He's he's under information overload. Keep in mind, this is a guy who's never had to make serious decisions in his life. He's always sort of floated around in Washington, D.C. And also, you know, the word, the phrase that was given to me earlier today, even before his speech, and I tweeted it out, was they said, it seems like he's in a fugue state. You know, uh, in the IC, we would call this an Analysis by paralysis, or paralysis by analysis, right? That he's just yeah. got so much incoming, he can't understand the difference between signal and noise. And so he's just sitting there, and it seems like he's paralyzed. He repeats the last thing he heard. And then, so I was tweeting all that out prior to the speech, and then you saw exactly that when he got out there. It's just sort of some some babble of talking points and whatever the last person said right. to him, whatever was written on his note card. And that's what the American people are getting instead of a, a decisive leader. It seems like things are uh, deteriorating uh, at 1600. They can't quite get it together. I did catch the president's uh, press conference. I was expecting more. You know, I was expecting more. I, I, I wanted to hear some firm, decisive words coming out. He did say the right platitudes. But in terms of plans, intentions, and again, you don't want to telegraph what you're going to do. But we've taken such a big hit for uh, just prestige, our reputation, our our standing in the world is taking such a big, big hit with what's going on in Afghanistan right now. And it just it seems like no one really knows what they're doing or how they're going to go about it. We'll get everybody out. Well, what about the people that can't get to the airport? Are they going to drive to the, the border and go over a land bridge? They still have to get through the Taliban and these other groups. I just don't hear any concrete plans. And again, they don't want to telegraph in case there's a special forces group or SEALs going out to get Americans. But for the number of Americans still there, and plus our Afghan allies that want to get out, it, it's I don't want to use the word debacle, but it is close approaching that point. Reminds I saw me of Vietnam. Who's going to be the last boots on the ground to die in, yeah. in, in a lost war? I, I saw the speech as well. I saw it this morning. And uh, I, to be honest with you, I went in it with uh, little expectations. I saw the clips from it last night, but I wanted to see the whole thing. And uh, he said right there at the end, okay, I'm supposed to take a question from, uh, and it's like, uh, sir, you're the president. You don't, you don't get told who you're going to take a question from and what that question is going to be. You call on who you want to call on. They ask you whatever they want, and then you answer it. That's how it's supposed to be. But, uh, you know, earlier today, he was sitting in the Oval Office. He was taking questions from the fawning press. and They actually had a full full crowd of people in there. Uh, he was in there with uh, somebody else. I, I don't know who it was. And uh, they were asking him questions about Afghanistan. And the, the man was laughing. He was laughing when they were asking him questions about Afghanistan. And at that time... When he started laughing or giggling or whatever he was doing, with a mask on, I might add, the press were then shown the door. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to leave. You're going to have to leave. Uh, this is not a time to be laughing. This is not funny. So Senator McCarthy has said that uh, he promises a day of reckoning on Afghanistan in response to the Biden impeachment calls. This is what's floating around the Hill. And not only do you have Republicans calling for this, of course you do, but you've got some Democrat senators calling for impeachment as well. You've got uh, Manchin. He's calling for impeachment. He's saying, what can we do now it, publicly? He's saying, what can we do with the Republicans to try and, and hold somebody accountable for this? 
Manch is the one they need to, to stop the filibuster. Although Bruce is shaking his head. I know what he's thinking, and I agree with him. And that is, it's theater. It's posturing. It's not, it's not genuine. It's not legit. But doesn't they're calling... No, it doesn't go far enough. You're absolutely right. They're calling for impeachment. I say impeachment is is too gentle. That of course we know that that's not going to happen anyway. So that's that's completely irrelevant. Impeachment's not going to happen. Uh, but you've got people now saying that the entire administration has to resign. Uh, let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. Do they resign? I say yes, absolutely. That's long overdue. Uh, especially now with all of this, they've created a disaster, the likes of which. And when I say the likes of which, I'm hearing people out there on the main line now saying. They've killed us. They, they've literally killed us. Like that, That's the level of this. They have literally, they have literally sold our future out. There is nothing. So does the entire administration resign? Where would that leave us? Biden resigns? Congress resigns? Who's next? Speaker of the House. I, I don't see the administration resigning, but also I can't pin all the blame on them. We've had 20 years of failed policies in Afghanistan. Militarily, we did what we wanted. Osama bin Laden, gone. Al-Qaeda, broken. And let's remember, so far they've evacuated over 100,000 people, Americans, Afghan allies, NGOs, other internationals. So yes, to me, that is an amazing accomplishment. But other than that, we've got nothing to show for everything, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the trillions of dollars. What do we have to show for it? Nothing. Pictures of the Taliban running around with M4s, M16s, Ford Rangers, Humvees. It's just, I can't say we can pin it all on Biden are way too many other people that are guilty of this fiasco. Just That's just my way of looking at it. It's an institutional failure on all sides. So I'll, I'll agree that it is an institutional failure on all sides. Uh, we should have been out of there in about, about 2004, roughly. We should have been uh, out of at least Afghanistan. I, I know it was later when we got Osama bin Laden, but we knew where Osama bin Laden was uh, before we took him out. And we got him um, in Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. It was in Pakistan. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it, it was, but at the same time, we, the Trump administration was doing, um, you know, the Abraham Accord. He had a different perspective on how to deal with the Middle East and it was working. So theoretically, if he would have been elected another term, well, one, we wouldn't be in this debacle. He wouldn't have let it happen just because of his own ego, let alone, you know, the, the, the pride he has in America. But that aside, we were trending in a different direction. And he was the first of uh, the, the presidents that we've had since the wars began. That was like, yeah, we're getting them out. And this is the date we're doing it. Uh, Obama said, yeah, we need to pull out and then said, no, nah, we're not going to do it and left them in. So we were we were trending a different way. But then the bureaucrats, the the. <sighs> politicians, they all pulled us back in and kept us there. Now, with this pullout the way we pulled out, we left a vacuum. It's going to cause uh, another resurgence. And the thing is, is I don't think it's going to be just a resurgence of things that we already had. This is going to be worse than what we had before. And it's going to give any future administrations the the means to come in and say, we, we, we need to go in and clean, clean this up. I mean, it, it could open that door. I, I don't know. We don't know how many people are still left there. We don't know how many hostages are going to be left there. The damage it's done to to our allies' perspective of us. What was it? The UK was saying that in their parliament that they will do no more joint operations with the US while the this administration is in office, while Biden or Kamala is in office. 
Um, I mean, this is those are some pretty pretty strong stances that we've never seen directed towards the U.S. So personally, I would like to see every uh, every one of the uppers, you know, the the brass, the bureaucrats, and the the administration all kicked out, resign. You're gone. You're done. This is this is a, a failure of the last twenty years. The thing is, is the bureaucrats. When you get in and look at who the bureaucrats are now, they were the same ones that were in when we first went into this war. They they need to be purged and removed. It, it's they're done. We need different different stances on how we how we address the Middle East. They have to understand that the Middle East, especially Afghanistan, is very tribal. They understand strength. They don't do well with the cap in hand, as Marty says. That just emboldens them. They think they have the upper hand. No, you kick them in the ass and you make them very aware that you're the one that has the strength. And they'll they'll uh, relent and say, okay, yeah, you, you're right. You, you have the better idea, the better opinion, the better system. It reminds Bruce, me you. of early Vietnam. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Johnny. No, no, I was just going to correct Bruce real quick and just say, Bruce, it's mealy-mouthed cap in hand. Oh, mealy-mouthed cap in hand. Mealy-mouthed cap in hand. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Tavish, go ahead. No, it it just, it reminds me of early Vietnam when the politicians, oh, we have to get their hearts and minds, their hearts and minds. And I forget who coined the phrase, but it came out of the military. When you have them by the balls, their hearts and minds will surely follow. And they got away from that. They got into the nation building and this and that and the other thing, but they didn't understand the mindset. And the level of corruption, what was going on, they just kept throwing money at the problem, throw troops at the problem. It's not going to work. If the people don't have faith in the government, if they don't have faith in their basic institutions, if they have to bribe the traffic cop to get around the traffic circle, or they have to bribe the local clerk to get a building permit, that that institutional corruption, that's what did us in then, and that's what did us in now. The sheer amount of incompetence and corruption in the Afghan government we never addressed that. We just made it worse. The people did not have faith in the institutions. Afghan troops not getting paid or or, or they were ghost battalions. Oh, well, I'm Colonel so-and-so and I say I have 500 men. I want their pay. Oh, here you go. And he's got maybe a couple platoons guarding him. Not a battalion, but that was the problem. We just, we went in with these rosy glasses on. Oh, we're going to kick their ass and then rebuild the country and you're going to be great and this and that. The people had no concept of democracy. Afghanistan has never been a unified country, whether it was the British, the Russians, or us. No one's been able to build Afghan Afghanistan into a single unified country. It's it's too many tribal divisions, hatreds, religious viewpoints, whatever you want to call it. And speaking of Pakistan, Pakistan has a vested interest in what goes on there. You have Iran. We've talked about China. So all those regional players are now vying for that piece of the prize, not only for the trade routes, but the fact, the prestige, the standing it gives them. We've taken a big hit across the map on this, whether it's our international standing, our allies having faith in us. It's, it's, it's just, it's a debacle. And I hate to say that. I love America. My prayers are with my sisters and brothers on the ground out there. But this has just been a shit show. Maybe I jumped the gun. Maybe I jumped the gun. Maybe maybe everything that I said this week is um, well. Maybe I was premature in saying it. And and I know that uh, I, I know you guys are sitting here saying that um, you know the Taliban taking over the country. You know, it's a, it's a bad thing. Well, what if it's a good thing? Now, hear me out. Hear me out for a minute. What if it's a good thing? 
And the reason I say it's a good thing, this one literally caught me out of left field. Are you ready for this? The Taliban have vowed to tackle climate change. I'm not joking. The Taliban are saying that they want to tackle climate change. They say that they're going to set out their eco-credentials. Taliban spokesman Abdul Kahar Balkai says that they want to play a global role. <laughs> they, <laughs> Bruce is shaking his head. You couldn't make this up. The group wants to help tackle climate change and security. You, you hear this? I mean, you hear how sincere they are? They were talking to Newsweek, okay? He was talking to Newsweek, and he said he's a member of the Taliban's Cultural Commission, this uh, Abdul Kahar uh, Balkai, a cultural commission. Uh, and he says that Islamists want to play a role on the global stage. Oh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure that you do. Uh, although I don't believe it has anything to do with climate change. He told Newsweek, and I'm quoting here, we hope not only to be recognized by regional countries, but the entire world at large as the legitimate representative government of the people of Afghanistan who have gained their right of self-determination from a foreign occupation with the backing and support of an entire nation after a prolonged struggle and immense sacrifices despite all odds being stacked against our people. We believe the world has a unique opportunity of reproachment and coming together to tackle the challenges not only facing us, but the entire humanity. Those challenges ranging from world security and climate change need the collective efforts of all and cannot be achieved if we exclude or ignore an entire people who have been devastated by imposed wars for the past four decades. Bruce, I can tell you want to say something. That's, um, that's cute. Uh, that's cute. It is. It sounds um, like it's right out of Davos, Switzerland, doesn't it? It sounds just like Davos. That was actually one of the things I was going to bring up is Davos, because um, one of the things Davos needs is the U.S. to be taken down a notch. They need to be kicked down a peg or two and brought in alignment with other uh, uh, Western world and China as well. They want all of them to be on an equal playing field. They don't want them to be anyone ahead of the other. And it also plays into their agenda to have uh, China in Afghanistan mining that lithium for those electric cars that we're all going to have and, and solar panels and all that fun stuff. So it fits their narrative to have America out of there and looking bad and also getting China involved. And the Taliban uh, echoing, parroting the same rhetoric that Davos says, uh, it, it seems a little interesting. Did, uh, does, did, you, did Schwab happen to pay any of those Taliban leaders off? Did they have any kind of meetings? I mean, that... Uh, well, no, you, you heard the up. list. You heard the list of the stuff we left. I mean, I, if you can't call that a payoff, what can you call it, right? Yeah. Well, we did actually pay off. Um, we did actually pay them uh, money. There, there was mm -hmm. actual money given to them uh -huh. by the U.S., and, not just on those pallets. Yeah, and what did the CIA director do? He was just over there the other day, but they didn't disclose any details of that, meeting with Taliban leaders. What was he doing there? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to know that as well, having a secret meeting with Taliban leaders. Uh-huh. Mm. And making a quick stop off in the UK. I'm sure that that didn't have anything to do with it either. You know, you're sitting in London. Gentlemen, do you have anything else? I know we were going to say we're, I know we said we were going to cut it short today, but uh, do you have anything else? Tavis, you got any closing thoughts uh, on any of this that uh, you want to weigh in on before we uh, cut tail and run here? Just that there's lots of blame to go around, but people are starting to direct it at the troops on the ground. No. Look to Washington. Look to the military industrial complex, the politicians, those are the ones that bear the brunt of responsibility for this 
situation we find ourselves in. The troops on the ground, they were given a mission, and despite all odds, they've gotten over 100,000 people out of that airport. That, to me, is success. So for the boots on the ground, I salute them. My prayers and thoughts are with them. Politicians, I'm sorry, but you got shit all over your face and it's not getting any better. That's well said, sir. As usual, I always give you the last word when you're on uh, and we appreciate it very much. So thank you for being here today. All right, we will go ahead and call this one done. So I want to thank you guys for being here today. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend and we will see you on Monday.